Let Him Go Barefoot is a podcast that dives into all things parenting and education through the lens of mindful awareness. Conversations aim to bring forward patterns, beliefs, and attitudes that shape our expectations and ideas about what it means to raise healthy children. With the blend of science, ancient wisdom, and intuition, we will explore ways to support, nurture, and connect with our growing children while also nurturing and expanding ourselves. I am grateful you are here. Welcome, Jill. I appreciate you joining me today on the Let Him Go Barefoot podcast to talk about your beautiful nature program, Born Wise, which I love that name. It just speaks so deeply to my attachment and belief that children are born with this innate understanding of how to operate in the world. They use us as their guides and mentors and your website or not your website, but your Instagram page at born wise education is just filled with lovely images of you working with children. And I love your quotes and I'm grateful that you're able to share with us how that all came to be and your backstory and got what got you there. And also, um, how you feel like nature is super important in the development of our kids. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really happy to be here talking to you today. And I think it's important that we let people know that you are in Australia. It's 4 a.m. where you are. <laughs> it's 4 a.m. It is 4 a.m. We're, we're Perth West Coast, so we're even further away and um, longer away, I guess, in, in terms of time difference as well. If we're in the East mm-hmm. Coast of Australia right now, it wouldn't, yeah, it'd be more like 7 a.m. So it'd be a pretty bit more of a reasonable time. But mm-hmm. yeah. it's kind of exciting to get up at, in the middle of, you know, when it's still dark and, and mm-hmm. everyone's sleeping and do this. So I'm, yeah, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> well, well, tell us a little bit about your family and you know who who you live with and how did you end up in Australia? Is this where you were born? Is this where you're uh, raised? And then yeah. uh, just talk to us about your program. Thank you so much. So yeah, I was I was born in um, Perth, Western Australia. My parents are both English, so I'm the the first one in the family, I guess, to to be born in Australia. Um, I have three sons. They were all born here in Perth as well. And they range, they're 15, 13, and I have a five and a half year old as well. So there's a bit of an age gap. And we live here. My husband's um, Australian as well, but he was born in Sydney. And, uh, you know, it's one of those funny things I didn't ever think when I was growing up that I would end up living in Perth. I love traveling and, you know, Perth um, has changed a lot, I guess, in the last 20 years, but it was, it was like a big country town, you know, when we were growing up, it always felt like there wasn't a lot to do here, but we are surrounded in some incredible nature spots, you know, that I probably took for granted as a kid. So beautiful beaches and beautiful bushland and, you know, we have amazing sunsets and I, I think I just didn't take any of it for what it was when I was when I was younger and and now that we are here and in the place that I didn't think I would grow up I'm I'm just really um I guess feel blessed to be here in in this part of the world and connecting with it on a different level now that I'm older and I'm I've, I've traveled a fair bit I guess when I was younger and I used to combine I guess my work with teaching as a teacher traveling and 
still taught uh, when my sons were born. Um, but along the way, I think it was when my children were born that I started to see, I guess, the world of education and school and learning a little bit differently. Um, I'm always sort of fascinated as a teacher, you know, the, the changes to my um, teaching practice and my beliefs once I became a parent. And, you know, I often feel that being a parent has made me a better teacher, but I'm not sure being a teacher has made me a better parent. (laughs) No, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't think I've heard heard it explained that way, but I can see where you're coming from. So you were, you were a trained teacher and you actually taught in, in school in Australia before your sons were born. Is that what I understood? Yeah. I did. Actually, my first ever teaching job was in South Korea. I, I took a, a teaching job um, over there when I was about in my early 20s. And I, I did that because I, at the time, had um, just finished a philosophy and arts degree in creative writing. And I was thinking about maybe doing teaching. And a friend said to me, well, you know, you should try at least working with kids before you, you know, go on and study teaching. And she'd just come back from this trip to teaching in South Korea and she said, you know, you can you can teach there on any degree. As long as you have a degree, it doesn't have to be a teaching degree hmm. um, because they, as an English, as a second language teacher. So I took a job as a, in a kindergarten in South Korea and, and worked there and that, you know, was completely um, – I guess, culture shock for me coming, you know, from Western Australia and into a part of the world that it was so different to to our culture and how we lived. But I absolutely loved working with the children. So it it kind of gave me that little bit of um, assurance, I guess, that, you know, maybe I would like teaching and I would like education. Uh, But I did do a bit of traveling, I guess, before, you know, heading back to Perth to, to study teaching but I did in the end come back here. It, it took a few years actually of lots of traveling, um, which I'm grateful for. But, you know, I started studying um, education at our uni here and it was the same uni I'd studied philosophy and creative writing in. But I have to admit I didn't love studying education. Mm. It felt it felt very different to when I studied philosophy and creative writing um, and it felt also, I remember thinking if I hadn't have done that work in um, South Korea, I don't know how much of the education degree would have made sense to me, you know. So I feel like I learned a lot more once I finished that degree and I I was lucky to get jobs. I've I've always ended up working in alternative nature-based jobs school settings and I was lucky in the two main schools I worked in to have amazing mentors who were were quite you know I mean they were pushing boundaries in education they were you know I would consider them educational change makers Mm. here in Perth and one in particular the first one um, a woman named Linda who um, I worked with in an early childhood setting as the early childhood teacher she I think she was the one who who started sort of um, just kind of, you know, planting seeds in me to kind of get me thinking, oh, maybe there's some other ways of doing this. You know, she always questioned things. She always um, asked me to come back to my why, you know, why was I doing oh, this yeah. with the children? And she was a huge advocate 
for play and also for not getting in the way of children's learning. Mm. You know, she she really pushed back on on the things that we were were having to do with curriculum and and all of that. And I think she just got me started on this journey, you know, and after her I was lucky to go to another school which had another um, amazing leader who um, her name was Jill, same as me, or is Jill. And, again, just another woman who was questioning things and, and doing education in a different way. So they got me thinking, I guess, and sort of got those those early years of studying philosophy, I feel like they were firing little, you know, mm. little ideas in the back of my subconscious, but I didn't really understand what what would happen with those. You know, I didn't right. have any forward thinking or big plans yeah. around that. Yeah. Well, um, well, you know, because yeah. you're in Australia and I'm in the States, I'm curious about the ideas that you you shared about um, education change maker, because I have an idea of what that might be like for the states and what I experienced being mm-hmm. in the classroom. But I'm, I'm curious about that for you. So what what was it that she or these mentors provided for you that you thought looked like a great a better option than what was happening in the classroom? So I guess what I'm trying to say is what was happening in the classroom that you saw as not being the best for children? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it was that around that time play was being removed from the classrooms, which felt really strange to me because when I was studying, all they talked about was play, (laughs) you know, um, but all they talked about in the research was, you know, children learn from play and um, that was all of our studies and all of our assignments we were writing on that, but then you'd go into the classrooms and you didn't see any play. well, I didn't see any play. And then these the mentors that I had um, were very, very good. I guess when I say educational change makers, they were, these two women in particular were looking at the children and what the children needed and what they were seeing. And they were also trusting, I think, in the, in the natural development of childhood. And they were prepared to put that trust they were prepared to push back on what I guess we were being handed from, um, I guess, you know, more the government administration and, and curriculum makers mm. to say, no, this, this doesn't match up, you know. Yeah. And they were prepared to kind of just follow what the children needed rather than what we were being told to do with them. Mm. And I just found that incredibly inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um two women who, you know, their own children were in their, I think, probably 30s, you know, that I think they were probably maybe just grandparents, you know, early grandmother, that sort of stage. And they just had so much um, confidence and trust in themselves. And they just kept asking questions. And they made me feel as a teacher that, you know, my job was ultimately you know to to look at education in a philosophical way not just show up and kind of follow a lesson plan right. if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah they, they made um my teaching practice more intuitive based and more I think relationships and people based rather than this is what you know the the form tells me I should be doing with this child today mm-hmm. almost robotic from that direction with the government 
administration and curriculum. Yeah. It's like, does it matter what they need or want or what the day looks like? It's just these things need to be done. And yeah, this is what exactly. education looks like. So, so how did that then evolve once you were, you had your experience in South Korea, then you began teaching back in Perth. Is that correct? Yes. And then, yeah. so how did that evolve into your current situation? Um, I think it's really interesting because I think I was quite um, happy and inspired teaching when I had access to, to both of those women. So first Linda and then Jill. And then, um, you know, for life circumstances, um, you know, one of them moved away uh, and one, you know, started working elsewhere and I kind of lost that connection to, to, to those women who I guess were my mentors. Mm-hmm. And, but I didn't ever lose, you know, I could hear their voices in my head <laughs> when I was, when I was working with the children. And I started to realize how much um, maybe other people or other teachers could find that challenging, you know, when you, you weren't following the, the plan, I guess, mm. you know, you, you weren't, you, then you were trusting in things like, and I felt like I was always questioning I became that person, I guess. I became that teacher saying, but why are we doing this? And I was asking that question so much. And <laughs> by that stage, I had my um, two children, two boys, and I had a third one on the way. So all of this sort of um, inspiration for Born Wise came about when I was pregnant with my third because what started to happen was I I became really, really stressed as a teacher and just feeling that there was too much for me to hold there it was very hard to do the job I wanted to do in the classroom and then also be there for the parent nights and the busy bees and Mm -hmm. the um all the things you know you know you definitely all the sitting up till like you know midnight doing documentation and portfolios and reporting and then I'd have my children and I was I was very aware that I felt I wasn't doing a great job as a parent and I wasn't doing a great job as a teacher and I had a third child on the way so I I started to question how I would possibly be able to continue this you know and it didn't feel good like it it didn't feel it felt very very stressful and I knew that you can't (laughs) it's very hard to be around anyone when you're stressed, but, but I know what children need. And I had a lot of children in my life between the ones I worked with and my own. And I just thought I can't actually show up in a way that I want to show up in this, in this space. So I took early maternity leave and started to, in that time, think, I think I've made it, you know, a big mistake becoming a teacher. (laughs) Um, And that was a bit, uh confronting because I'd wanted to be a teacher from about the age of six you know from the age of six I'd say I want to be a teacher and a writer and I love those things I love working with children but I think what teaching was becoming and what I wanted to do weren't the same things anymore you know it it wasn't I'm, I'm terrible with paperwork I'm terrible with admin and my job was becoming so much about paperwork and admin and I, I thought, well, I'd never. This is not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to to do this. I wanted to spend time teaching, and I see teaching as a creative, intuitive practice. And I wasn't. It, it wasn't what I was actually doing. So, 
yeah, I had this time when I was um, on maternity leave where I thought, well, I've, I've, I'll quit teaching. It's, it's, I've made a big mistake. I'll have to find something else to do. And I had no idea what that would be. But within about three weeks of making the decision to quit teaching, I suddenly had this little idea start to brew of, of thinking back to, I, I think I was just allowing myself room to reflect and ponder and, and think, well, what is it that I believe children need? You know, I didn't want to take on the task of building a school because I was quite aware that that would just create more of the stress I was trying to avoid, you know. Um, And I thought, well, you know, what is learning and then what is school and then what is education? And then suddenly seeing that those three words weren't necessarily the same thing, which was mind-blowing at the time because, you know, I'd obviously – grown up in this world where you you go to school and do the things and that's just what happens and then become a teacher so even more I guess conditioning as into what school and learning and education is and then just suddenly having these this time to reflect on that um, was fascinating and I had studied um, my yoga kids yoga and meditation training so I started there. I thought I'll just, you know, I contacted a yoga studio I knew and said, can I just, you know, have the space for a couple of hours a week to teach them kids yoga and meditation? And I did that. But what happened is all the other stuff started to to come in, like the stuff, the play, because I, I started thinking, well, you know, I'm not going to do a meditation technique with these five-year-olds if all they want to do is show up here and play. I'm going to value the play because I can now. I'm in a different setting and then the storytelling and then the things that I actually believe are important for children about time and space, they just, they started creeping in. And then I realized, oh, this mm-hmm. isn't just a kid's yoga and meditation program. But I didn't actually know what it was, to be honest. Um, it just really evolved very naturally. And it was really nice to allow it to do that, you know, to without sort of putting these parameters and boundaries of it. Of, this is what this program is and this is what I'll be doing. Um, I'd literally just set it as time and space to be with children. And I was lucky, I guess, that the parents of these children who found me were really trusting in that. And we just managed to to build this community. And it's it's so organic that when you kind of reflect on the journey, it's it, it sounds sort of almost too simple, but yeah, it's just sort of effortlessly evolved into now it's a three-day program um, that I just, I literally think of it as time and space for children to be with other children, to be in a community approach to education. And I feel like the children and myself and Nat, who works with me now at Born Wise, are just these collaborators and co-creators of of what it means to be a human, really. I, I'd say, you know, Nat and I learn as much as the children and I think removing some of that hierarchy as well has has been really mm-hmm. satisfying as a teacher, you know, shifting what what is a teacher's role really. And I would say now I'm more a facilitator than a teacher in the traditional sense of the word um, and that feels really good. It feels good to to remove any um you know ideas that are, are pretense right. around oh well the teacher must know everything because they're the teacher 
Um, which, to be honest, a lot of the schools I were working as alternative schools had these philosophies around, you know, the the teacher being the co-creator in the learning and the teacher being a lifelong learner. They were parts of the philosophy in the schools that I was teaching in. I just felt that we had those written in our philosophy, but we couldn't actually do it that way because of constraints around being a school. Mm, Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, we've run into that here as well. And as you were speaking, it makes me think of all the various intentions that are put into place to create schools for children, the alternative spaces. But as soon as they're attached to any sort of government or Mm -hmm. government money, yes, then your ability to really be creative and, and do what you were saying, which is follow your intuition and really, uh, modify the environment for the needs of the people who are there versus the people who come and we do whatever we we, we do what the government says regardless of who they are mm-hmm. and I love this the the natural evolution of what you created but it also feels like it goes it works in tandem with a child's development you know that you mm-hmm. you see something and you and it speaks to you. And so you follow it and then you follow that next thing and you follow the next thing. And that's, that's what I love so much about self-directed education Mm. and unschooling is that it's like that. It's Mm -hmm. this something sparks and then you follow it. And then you're like, this made this happen. And then that, you know, and so, like you said, when you get to a, a point in time and you actually can sit and reflect, it's kind of, amazing you know that you're there yeah because if you can't really say exactly what to do yeah but you do know yeah you know you do know that well you just follow follow what you love yeah. and ask those questions and it, it's powerful stuff and you know if I every time when I talk to parents who are interested in homeschooling or who think they can't do unschooling that's one of the things that I say to them is that you would just be so amazed at what your where your questions will take you mm-hmm. and to be open to the possibility of doing something a little differently. And, um, and, and, you know, as you're describing your school too, it makes, it makes me feel like my shoulders relax. Like as if this, the, you know, this framework that, that has been said is education. It's like the teaching, learning, education, school, were all used interchangeably. Like they meant the same thing. Mm -hmm. But as you noticed, once you sat down and really thought about it, they aren't at all. And, um, you know, so I do want to highlight one of your posts since you mentioned your, um, so would you, you and Nat created this uh, Born Wise together? Is that correct? Um, I guess it's it's quite funny. So when I first started doing those little yoga classes that I mentioned, which is was the first phase, I guess, of, of what Born Wise has become, Nat was actually one of the, the mums who brought her little boy to my classes. Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah, and she was pregnant with her third child at the time and we met via that and you know um always got along and then when her third child was born she you know we they stopped coming to the class I didn't see them as much and I reckon maybe and I just kept following that little evolution of what I was doing I I shifted those classes to a um a a local organic farm that is near me just because you know the one thing that I felt in the yoga studio was that there was you know, we needed to take the roof off. Like we needed to be outside. Mm, yeah. um, I don't, I'm 
luckily never really worked in a school where I had to be inside all the time with children. So, and I'm not, I like to be outside. I much prefer to be outside myself. (laughs) So I shifted to the, to a farm, which was in a different area. And then funnily enough, I was doing a Instagram live interview with, with a similar, um, educator to me over in the east coast of Australia where she was just doing a little chat like this like we are now and but it was on Instagram live and Nat popped up in the the comments (laughs) and and said I can't remember what she said she said something about um, you know getting she her passion is art and you know how much she wants to to work with children in the in the realm of art and that's what she had done um, when she lived in England because she's English and we connected over that um, Instagram live and I invited her to come and run a clay workshop with the children that I was working with because I knew that they loved clay and the you know, I'm not an artist and I'm great at providing materials for kids. I'm great at sort of <laughs> what they need, but I'm not, I'm not a technical artist. And the children very, very quickly, you know, grew, outgrew my skill set. If that <laughs> So I had all these five or six-year-olds who were asking me questions about their clay creations that I, I, I can't answer this. I, I don't have the technical skills to take them to the level they wanted to take their work. and But I thought, well, you know what, I, I do know someone who could help us. So like the following that self-directed path, I guess, it was just a case of, well, we need someone who can show us this to come in and show us. And I invited Nat and she came in and worked with the children and she was amazing with the children. She is amazing with the children. She's really, really good at um, relationships and listening and just presence with the kids and she's super creative and a very um an amazing artist so she she can give the kids that that technical artistic um support that I can't and she did this one workshop and I just enjoyed working with her so much and about three days later the woman who was helping me at Born Wise because they always have other adults here to help and support message and said she could she couldn't continue to do it and I thought and she said do you know someone else who could who come and take on this role and I thought oh I think I think I do I'm gonna ask now yeah <laughs> and I thought now I thought oh this is kind of you know she she has three kids and she wasn't working at the time in terms of paid work she's obviously working all the time as a mm-hmm. mom and I just messaged her and I said, look, I don't know if you want to do this, but if you want to come and, you know, run Born Wise with me three days a week, I'd love to have you. And she said yes straight away before knowing any of the details um, and and come on board. And I think that was two or three years ago. I can't really remember in terms of time, but we're she's an amazing support to have and the children and the families really love her and it's, it's been really great for me to sort of have someone else to work with so closely around this because, you know, I I was missing the part of working in a school as a teacher. The main part I was missing was working with other humans and having other, right. I mean, not that the kids aren't humans, other adults bounce, <laughs> um, <laughs> bounce ideas around. You know that what I loved about teaching is when we would have creative kind of brainstorming meetings where we would just mm-hmm. get to say, oh, you know, we, I'm seeing this in, in this particular child. You know, what ideas do you think you have? And 
just having people to bounce ideas around because sometimes you you see something in a child and you still see it through your you know biased lens and it's great to have other people come in and sort of just put another spin on it and Mm -hmm. I think as humans we need different types of people and you know there's there's I love all the kids that come to Born Wise but there's definitely kids who I can sort of relate to and see similarities in them as me and so I have this sort of certain relationship but, but then the importance of having another trusted adult there which is Nat who can see them through a different lens and has her own um, unique experiences to bring into the mix. I feel like that's really important. And just for me, this whole idea of of school, I, I think it would be amazing if we could just take that pressure off schools being this thing, you know, and just turn them into safe spaces for, for children to be with trusted adults, you know, and I know. I can oversimplify, but really I think that's all we need and, you know, because I'm also aware that not everyone's in the position to homeschool or unschool Um, and I just think in terms of childhood it would be great if we just kind of simplified it a little bit (laughs) and allowed children to, to learn. I agree. And I think, you know, I mean, that's definitely a dream of mine. I think all the time about what the what ifs of turning all these different spaces into exactly what science says children need. And what Mm -hmm. we know is true from a biological standpoint, from evolutionary biology, there's so much information out there. And and I think we feel it in our bones too. You know, I think there's a reason they're, the parents feel that tug at their heart when they go to leave their kid for the first time at school. Yes, it's yeah. Not just it's not just a weak mom or an incapable of letting their kid go kind of person. It's just there's something deeper there. It's yeah. this idea that something just doesn't feel right about all this separation and this time, this amount of time that's put on it as well. It's like in order for your child to become a successful contributing member of our society, we must take them from the hours of 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. to 3 p.m. Monday through Friday. And no questions asked, we will give them back to you eventually and they'll be, you know, well, well on their way. And yeah. we all we, you know, we all know how inaccurate that is. And then, yeah. you know, in the States too, with you we were talking about the school setting and the pressures that you you experience there. I mean, we we have such issues here with standardized mm. testing. And it's mm. like, you know, teaching to the test, teaching to the test. And it's been years since I've been in public school. And I was active in the public schools in the um, mid to late 90s. And mm-hmm. um, and I remember back then, you know, and then I've heard it's even gotten worse. And so mm. this idea that these children have to be supposedly well-rested to show up ready for these tests because the tests will then determine whether or not the state gives them more money. And I was like, what kind of pressure to put on these babies' arms, the shoulders, you know, they're just like, I just want to know what my friend's doing over there. I want to play with this thing or I get distracted by this light. And we know that we see it. We've seen it over and over and over again. And we understand how children interact and operate. And mm-hmm. yet we're asking them to be different. Because mm. it makes it easier for us, supposedly, as a, as a society and as adults and as, you know, government agencies or, or, or um, institutions. It's like we need to show verifiable um, mm. progress. And like, it's like, well, my, in my mind, the progress is a child being able to be 
fully capable of expressing themselves and aware of their emotions and in the, yeah. in the comfort of people who really do have their best interests at heart, not just yeah. for kindergarten, not just for first grade, but for the lifespan of the child. Yeah. It's impossible to have that in a school setting when every year you're changing a new teacher, mm-hmm. a new group of people. It's uh it's constantly a movement and it's a bit chaotic, maybe very chaotic in some cases. And so I love, I love what you've created. And if, you know, one of the truths that I'm coming to be aware of, and maybe you are too, and just being on the social media side of things is that, you know, there's so many people who are jumping chip and they're yeah. looking for micro schools or looking for nature programs or farm schools or just anything yeah. other than the nine to five or the eight to three or whatever the typical school schedule is, because they're seeing the stress in their children. They're feeling the pressure in their families. And so yeah. for those who are listening, who really are inspired by your story and who hear what you're sharing, you know, what's some advice that you could give to moms or even teachers who are thinking, Hey, you know what, I'm in the school and it's not working for me anymore, or my children are about to go and I'm just not quite ready. You know, what are some things that you could possibly provide that gives them some things to consider if they want to start something? I think, um, so for me, it was all about having sort of shifting, I guess, my expectations and ideas around what I said earlier, the difference between learning and and school. And that for me was the freeing aspect that sort of gave me that permission to try something different, you know, because, and the advice also I, I give to, to parents who, cause I, I work sometimes with um, parents in a one-on-one capacity when they're just trying, you know, when they're trying to figure out what to do with their child, they've got a child who's stressed or anxious about being at school and, I, I talk to them just to play around with ideas. But my, my first advice really is just to, to say that it's okay to just hit the pause button. It's mm. actually okay to just stop for a while and not know what to do next. Right. I think we've been kind of taught at some point or conditioned that um, just keep just keep going, you know, and I feel like as a society and a culture, we're stuck in this thing of maybe being aware that, things don't feel right a lot of our systems don't feel right but because we don't know what the next system exactly looks like we're afraid to stop it's like you're afraid to get off the ride you know (laughs) because I don't know why I think it's just a, a habit of going well I don't you can't stop one thing unless you know what the next step's going to look like and for me that's just that what that doesn't create is our own time and space as adults to reflect and to also not know for a little while. It's absolutely okay to not know the next step and it's absolutely okay to not know where you're going. (laughs) And um, if you don't allow yourself this time to pause and stop, you won't find the next step anyway. You, you'll probably just take a step in a, in a direction that you've, you've not given any thought or feeling to. But I feel like the intuition and the knowing kicks in quite quickly once you just give it a little bit of time and space. So, so when I left my job um, as a teacher, I, I didn't have any of this in my head. 
at all. I had, you know, I, I do believe, like I said earlier, I had little seeds planted by those um, amazing teachers that I'd worked with, my mentors, but I didn't know what any of that would look like at all. And it wasn't until I just stopped and thought, well, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore because this doesn't feel good and just sit in that for a while, sit in that while I don't know what my next space step is, that suddenly this, these new areas of growth started to, to kick in that I hadn't ever noticed before. And I think that's something to let parents know as well that if your child is struggling in school or it doesn't feel right, it's okay to not have the answers of what next. It's okay to just to stop and if you're in a position to take them out of school for a while and and just and just sit in that not knowing. I know that can sound really scary for some people. Um, but I did that with one of my sons. He was struggling at school and he didn't know I didn't know what to do with him at the time because I was only working with really young children. I didn't really know anyone his age that he was about 8 or 9 at the time. I didn't know anyone his age that was unschooling at that time or homeschooling that wasn't in the system but he was crying every day before school so I we just stopped and he stayed home with me and his younger brother and he helped me with the younger kids I worked with and we didn't really have a plan for him um, at all but what I just watched and observed what he needed and I saw what it was very interesting to me to reflect on what he was doing because all day long he was moving um, and he was doing a lot of parkour. He really started to get into parkour and he was jumping and he was moving like different animals all over the place. And I real, you know, it was, it was really sort of mind blowing moment for me because it was like his body knew that it needed to move after all these years of having to sit still in the, in oh the school gosh. system. Yeah. And I just let that happen. And, you know, I definitely had little thoughts running through my head of what are you doing, Jill? You've taken this child out of school and you're just letting him move like a tiger all day long. Like <laughs> that, you know, really yeah. kind of, you know, what if you're just, what if you're just the crazy person? <laughs> but I knew I wasn't because I knew that it felt good. You know, I didn't really know what he was doing, but I remember he had to see a Cairo at the time and because he it was one of those kids who struggled to just sit all day, which, you know, you think, of course, they should struggle to sit all day. It's not natural to sit all day. Um, but to see him kind of almost, I, I felt like he was trying to heal his body, you know, just mm. by giving it the movement it needed. And I think giving yourself those little moments to just not have a plan and not know what's next, you, you it allows the plan to evolve naturally, which is often a more intuitive plan that follows needs in a better way than when we're trying to force a plan. Um, sorry, that's probably a really long abstract answer to your no, question. No, not at all. No, and, I, and you touch on the part about the movement piece, which I do believe we need to highlight because it's so odd because just today I was listening to um, someone speaking about the movement that boys need and and how it was essentially presented as boys need movement. They need to play until they exhaust themselves and mm-hmm. to do, to, to expect them to do things differently is really kind of criminal. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and in the States, you know, it's like boys are more 
prescribed Ritalin or medicine, yeah. stimulant medicine, yeah. medications for ADHD and things like that. And, and, um, and, or getting in trouble because they are so busy or are moving and it, it speaks volumes to what nature is trying to say. And we're mm-hmm. still trying, still ignoring it. And so I, I believe you're absolutely right that he was, his body was finally getting that time to do and, and probably had so much pent up energy. And it was, yeah. um, I mean, I can just imagine, you know, I mean, I've, I've been at an adult in a meeting where I was about to pull mm-hmm. my hair out and yeah. one more person talks and asks a question <laughs> yeah. and stay here any longer. <laughs> and so I know yeah. that feeling in my body and how it's like, I have got to get out of here. So can yeah. you only imagine what little children are feeling when they're yeah. kind of stifled in a setting where they can't get up and just move. They have to always sit and raise hand and be commanded yeah. to come and go. And so I get that. It's, it's amazing that you were able to listen and see and observe and, but you're right. I mean, we have these templates that have been given to us about what it's supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. Um, and if, if we, if we don't do it, then we think, well, maybe we've somehow failed our children or will fail them. And if they're not producing, then are we setting them up for failure or who are we, who are we to make this decision for them? It's already been done way before we got here. And this is, this is how it's supposed to be. And, um, I think when you stop and start asking questions and really looking at what's going on, mm-hmm. your eyes are not lying, you know, and yeah. our, our hearts are not lying to us. We know something's wrong. We know something doesn't add up. And and yet we, it's, it still can be so scary to say, let's just stop for a second. But, yeah. um, I believe that's, that's a huge, powerful moment in time and it gives you a chance to pivot um, and in nature, we have rest and we have busy yeah. and we have rest and busy, but in our go, go, go hustle 24 hour society, it's like, you just stay, stay busy 24 seven, because that's just what you're supposed to do. But then yeah. we all, at some point somebody drops. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah it's you know, impossible suffer. to keep doing it. And yeah. it feels like, you know, we could just spend, if, if we just watched children and observed what they're naturally inclined to do and then think, well, how can I, you know, best set up this, the time and space to allow them to do what they seem naturally inclined to do, I feel like we, get, we relieve ourselves of a lot of stress as well oh, of yeah. trying yeah. to get children to do things that, you know, the, 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 the piece of paper says they have to be doing when they clearly don't want to and aren't ready and and half the time what is it not half the time all the time when given the choice what will children do that they will play and I think that there is nothing more um nourishing than play for children and adults and it's it's heartbreaking to me that that play is taken away from children or not seen as 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 powerful as what it is and you know a lot of the problems we're having where we're having you know um increased anxiety in children and I think higher depression rates than ever before and you know they're they're physically not as healthy and overweight and all of these things and I just think if we just allowed children to play a lot of this stuff would alleviate itself because children in play you know, they, they're able to nourish their inner world. They're able to move. They're, they're able to learn. They learn, you know, incredibly high levels of social, emotional intelligence. And 
it's concerning to me that we take that away from children and also I think we're just punishing ourselves as adults as well because we're we're making our jobs much much harder by trying to get them to do other things that we think are more important than play so you know I think one of the the most frustrating points for me at at some point in my journey as an educator was when we were constantly talking about well-being constantly constantly talking about it um you know and I think it's been well-being in schools is is like this huge thing over here at the moment and I found it ironic because I thought we we can't stop children playing to send them to you know a structured prescribed well-being course like I I, I get I get the intention behind it but you know we want to we so want to teach them mindfulness and we so want to teach them yoga or meditation and all these little techniques and I just think if you know play is a child's meditation and play does allow them to access mindfulness but we're trying to take them away from that to to put them in a room to teach them prescribed well-being techniques it doesn't add up to me at all not at all yeah Mm, yeah (laughs) well and you know speaking of play I love that post that you have on it I'll say it's February the 22nd and it's where you introduced yourself and Nat and and it was introduction to team born wise And you you said you found yourselves playing dress up and wearing ridiculous wigs while we sailed (laughs) on a pirate ship past frolicking mermaids to Chipmunk Island. (laughs) And that just so, so fun because I can just imagine what that must have felt like for you, for Nat, and also for the children. And they love it when we enjoy play with them and we join in on their adventures and we allow them to lead and, and kind of direct us to say, you know, now they're kind of, and that's, that's one of the pieces I think people fail to recognize as adults with play is that when we, when we turn it, when we take ourselves out of it and and we don't have to orchestrate anything, it's just fascinating to see what the children come up with. Yeah. And it also allows them an opportunity to kind of take the lead. Whereas we as parents tend to be in the lead more, whether it's, you know, planning an event or organizing dinner or whatever the case may be. But this playtime really allows the children to say, hey, you know what? I'm in charge now. Not in a like a controlling way, but more in a leadership way. Yeah, they love it. And I, mm-hmm. I love group play. You know, I, I think all sorts of different types of plays, incredible, you know, like um, independent play and creative play. Like it's there's so many different types of play and a child playing by themselves is in that beautiful flow state. Um, but then a child, children, people playing in a group, it allows you to be in that group sense of flow state, which is pretty amazing. And, you know, that day that we have lots of days like that where, you know, we're all sorts of things. And, I mean, I could never come up with that idea that that evolved that day. And, I mean, you know, a boat, the boat was just rearranged couches to mm. to be a pirate ship and, you know, the kids would dress, dressing up in, we, you know, just long, they're just like open-ended materials, half of them, you know, so they just wrap themselves up and become mermaid princesses where I think, you know, there was also, who else was on board? You know, not everyone on the ship that day was, was a mermaid. There were all sorts of like different outfits going on. Um, there are some like, you know, costumes, more kind of traditional costumes that some of the kids were, were wearing. There were pirates. Um, they were 
some of them were chipmunks. I'm not sure why, where the chipmunks <laughs> came from. And one of the roles was so sweet that because one of the, the girls was quite new to the group and she was a quieter little girl but super creative and imaginative. Real, real, she's a real storyteller and she wanted to play this game but I think she also wanted to just sit back and watch. So she wanted to be involved but she was also, I think, kind of going, what's going on here and, you know, yeah. just wanted to observe and witness for a bit. So she um, became, took the role of um, the corner chipmunk, which I thought, I thought it was incredible and she literally sat in the corner of the the couch boat and it but she was still playing she wasn't doing anything at all but she was just sitting there watching but the kids you know everyone felt like she was part of the play because she had this role as in corner chipmunk and I remember saying to one of the other girls what what does corner chipmunk do and they said oh she just sits there and she's watching for like mermaids you know in Mm -hmm. the water and the little girl, she's happy to do that. So she had like a, you know, one of those brown toilet roll type things just as her binoculars. And oh. it, it was just like, it sounds, it, you know, it's, it's very funny. We had like whale music playing in the background because they, their kids wanted that kind of background noise. So, um, and one of the girls said, oh, well, she can talk to animals. So that was her job. And it was just, you know, then they'd give Nat and I jobs and, I love storytelling, so I often find that in that kind of group play I end up taking on the role of almost like this storytelling narrator mm-hmm. um, but then being in the play as well because I, I think it's really important in play to allow each human to, to be what they want to be in it and that's the it's like a little kind of pocket micro kind of metaphor into like what humans can be like when they work together and I love that the kids are so good at just tying in anyone you know so someone new comes into the play and it's like well who who are you and they'll say oh I'm the one who can speak to the animals oh okay we need one of you you know like it doesn't matter how bizarre the role is whether it's I'm corner chipmunk or I'm the animal communicator they they, they find a, a place of, contrib- you know, you can contribute in this way. And then even when things come up in a so-called, you know, in inverted commas, more negative interaction where it's like, a, oh, I don't want you to be this. I don't want, but you just allow that to pan out and they, their creativity mm. and problem solving skills always ends up creating a solution. And I think it's important that they go through the, the discomfort and kind of, stages too you know um sure because that's part of like again it's it's why send your child to you know a specific social emotional learning program um when they can just sort of explore that learning in a very natural way through play Mm -hmm. and for Nat and I at the end of the day well I can't speak for Nat but you know I we were laughing at one point just thinking oh my god like what is our job like what is (laughs) <laughs> that we get to spend our day doing but it is it is so deeply nourishing um and I see what the kids are getting out of it and I feel what I'm getting out of it and you know I was thinking about it the other day I, I think oh, it would be great if you know teachers or adults or you know whatever if if each child you know had like one sort of teacher type person in their lives you know they have their parents who are obviously their teachers and then they have someone in the community that's a teacher you know a little bit more of like I guess that community 
way of approaching education and you had maybe 12 to 15 kids in your sphere of this is who I mentor, this is who I teach, because that feels more um, sustainable as well. Because I think if you have like 45 kids on your list that you're responsible for teaching, that increases stress again. And I don't know how realistic it is to have real relationships with that many people where the kids that I'm working with at the moment, I have enough time, I have enough in me to have real relationships with them and their parents. And it it feels, you know, we were told in school that relationships, so important, relationship, relationship, but it, it was in a very contrived way. And I don't think kids get anything out of contrived relationships, you know, relationships that have to have a professional boundary around them. And I know that there's a reason that those professional boundaries are there and it's supposedly to keep kids safe and it's supposedly to keep adults safe. But I think kids feel that the the closeness of those professional relationships and they're too young to understand why and everything in them is wired to seek real connections and real relationships. Right. And right. it's kind of sad that we have to give them this like packaged up professional version of a relationship because mm. I think they sense that it's not real and then I'm sure that creates some sort of disconnection and the separation you were talking about before. So mm-hmm. I feel that Nat and I are able to have these genuine relationships with the children and each other through our play but also the families um, because some of the kids have been coming since I started. There's, you know, one little girl in particular who started coming to Born Wise just before she turned three and she's about to turn nine this year and she's still here and we've grown with her and she's grown with us and I feel like I know her so well that, um, you know, I know what she needs and I know how to support her and I know how to support her mum and, and they're a great support to me as well. So it feels very more sustainable, I guess, than. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I agree. And then if you look at history and how our schooling or school systems or school buildings were before, they were very community oriented mm, and it was It was, you saw your teacher out in the community after you left school. They didn't seem like some foreign person from another planet. You know, it was like, oh, there's Miss So-and-so. And and she actually shops at the same grocery store that I shop at. And she says hello to my mother. And they, they walk and have a conversation together. And, you know, or you see them at church or whatever your outings are in your, your sphere of, um, of community is you, you see these people who are in the school also in the community. So they don't feel like some something that they would never interact with again. Yes. Um, yeah. And I, and I think that's part of what has definitely happened in some of our larger school systems and, and bigger cities is that it just becomes, it's so big. And um, mm. so, so these little, the little microcosms exist within the big school. Um, and I also think it's why people are starting to seek more of what you're offering in other places. I mean, that's, I don't know the numbers I've got, I've got some feelers out actually to try to get the numbers, but I would love to see like the increase in micro schools across the country, especially since mm-hmm. the pandemic, because I yeah. know it's fascinating how, how many are happening. I'm, I'm even considering it, you know, what, what I could do at this point in time. I have kids that are a lot older. I have a 20 yeah. year old and a 16 year old, but, but, you know, you were talking about play and, um, 
and and sometimes I think a lot of times people think children younger than maybe 11 or so, but um, funny enough, this uh, yesterday was Easter and, uh, and we got together with a group of families that we have spent a ton of time with for Mm -hmm. a lot of years. And like I said, we've got kids ranging young adults, 23, 24, and the youngest was 10, 11. Mm -hmm. And they were they did an Easter egg hunt and they did a scavenger hunt and they were cracking me up and they were having the best time. And of course they take it to a whole different level because they're older. And just to see them playing and running around in this big pack. And, and it was not like, it was not, um, immature. It was mature play, but still having fun and still changing it and modifying it to fit them. And to me, I think, you know, that's just what it's all about is, if you're able to play as a child, you're able to really easily play as a teen. And then you're definitely able to, I think, to take that into adulthood. And um, I believe it was uh, Stuart Brown who wrote the book on play, a, a book on play, not the book, <laughs> but a book on play. And I, he said the opposite of play is depression. And yeah. I never really thought about it that way before. And I was like, yes, it makes so, so much sense because anybody who's feeling pretty down and sad and, 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 um, and depressed it play is not part of their yeah their 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 feeling they just you just can't be playful um and so I think when we are able to give kids that space to be playful as early as possible and and for as long as possible to you can see how it can carry as a as a as a beautiful thread throughout the rest of their lives yeah for sure definitely and I and I love too how you're um on your page you also say that you're a, a school of the heart so how did how did you come to that? I mean, so much of what you've said, it seems pretty self-explanatory, but to write that specifically, mm. what, what inspired that? Um, so that, funnily enough, that, that's amazing. It's still there on my, my Instagram account from those early days because when I first had this little inkling when I was on that maternity leave to think, oh, maybe we could do things in a different way, my the main sort of I guess idea that came to me was create a school of the heart mm. and I didn't really know what that would look like and the the inspiration I think for that came, you know I, I feel really lucky I've had lots of great mentors and teachers in my life and I, I think of their wisdom as just sitting inside of me like those little seeds and mm-hmm. that would have come through I, I did my yoga teacher training um oh I can't remember when maybe about 10 years ago and the in during the training the teacher who was just somebody I really respected and looked up to and you know even with him he with the the yoga industry like he was always um questioning that too you know he would say this is about your own inner world you know so you know don't take on my word as the thing anyway he would often just say use those words about um from the heart so living from the heart working from the heart and education would often come up in conversation during those trainings um just because you know you don't you sometimes don't realize the things that your education taught you that you didn't know it was teaching you so not mm. just your maths or your english or your science it, it was teaching you um some some things about the world that you know, like little ideas about yourself that, you know, you're not smart or you're not good at maths or 
it's not okay to to speak or it's not okay to need to go to the toilet at inconvenient times. You know, all of those little subtle teachings that we we don't think about when we think of our education. He sort of started us thinking about them, I guess, and that for me was just where this pondering started to kind of kick in of, okay, well, we spend so much time supposedly educating the mind um, where I would question that that's what we're, I don't think we're really educating the mind. Yeah. What <laughs> um, um, so, you know, academic focus, I guess. Um, and I started thinking, but what about the body and what about the heart and what about, you know, who we are inside and, you know, just of, of again, what could things look like if we prioritised the heart or the way things feel? Mm-hmm. Um, so that school of the heart phrase is something I came up with really, really early on. So even though the, the structure of the programs changed and, um, the times and the space and even the name of it, you know, has changed over the time, but that school of the heart phrase was always there. And it's kind of a reminder to me, I guess it's, it's a reminder that when I'm any, any stage of my life, it, it's, um, and struggling, I guess, if there's a child that I'm working with that I'm thinking, okay, I need to kind of figure them out in, in a way of like what's the best support, what do they need right now. And mostly I can see it. I've, I've come to a point where now I can just feel and see what a child needs. But if I need a little bit of extra support, it's coming back into my own heart, I guess. Yeah. And and also um, intentionally teaching because as much as, you know, we're self-directed, learning program and so obviously the children get to follow their own um, interests and ideas but I follow my own interests and ideas as well and I encourage Nat to and because I think then we're modeling to children that well we're on our learning path too and um, that is something like things like compassion and love and beauty and hope and gratitude are these things that I'm very interested in. So I have those as themes running throughout the Born Wise program as this is what I'm consciously um, or intentionally is a better word, um, exploring myself at the moment. And I invite the children in to explore that as well. So, you know, often that's just a conversation. Um, Last term, love was something that I wanted to explore and what is the role of love in education and is it okay to even talk about that word in education and how do you feel about it? And the kids had great interesting reflections to say on it, you know, and... um, I guess that's what I mean by a school of the heart is yeah. is listening to that. I love that. And also the fact that you you brought up the point of being a guide and um, following your interest as well. And I do think sometimes that can get a little muddy in the self-directed space where people yeah. think self-directed is only about what the kids want. And I'm yes. thinking, well, remember, they work in tandem. I mean, they are part of a group. They're part of a family unit. They're part of a small community. And um, while it's beautiful to pay attention to their interest and in, and what is they are naturally being pulled towards it's also important for them to see parents and and other family members enjoying what they love and mm. um that whole back and forth sharing it's like you know if you have a sibling who's really into health and fitness and you see something that they love or you see something that you think and, and it makes you think about them then you share that right mm. and it's not just I don't share anything about myself, only you all the time. <laughs> so I, I love that, you know, you also are leading 
in that way and asking those really deep philosophical questions because kids are, they're little philosophers, I think. And oh. and ev- even before you ask them, I think that they are thinking it. Sometimes they might not really have the words to express what they're thinking or sensing. Yeah. Um, but I have found time and time again that if I present a question or maybe throw out an idea that you will see them come up with things that you, they're surprising and, um, you know, fascinating and, and it makes you realize that there's so much more going on inside their little minds than than we're able to capture if we just pay attention to academics. Yes. So that's great. So the other thing too, about your, program is it part of a larger organization or is it just Mm. something you created so is that we are nature network is that a larger organization in perth or in australia um that's so we are nature network is a um like an umbrella i guess organization for some of the other the programs like born wise and the the other ones running here in perth that um follow a similar philosophy and um, We Are Nature Network is a group of women, we are all women, um, who were working in this similar kind of um, odd little pocket (laughs) that's not defined (laughs) and it it came about um, because, like I said a little bit about earlier of how I was, um, you know, bringing Nat on board because I I wanted to have this, I wanted to collaborate. I I didn't want to just work as this one adult floating in space and so and missing that collaborative aspect of teaching. So it's it's like um, we're we're we formed We Are Nature Network just to have that kind of banner to be able to work with other educators so there's about six of us or maybe okay, there's seven great. and we we meet monthly um we're always talking always talking and kind of like collaborating on ideas we do run things together as well we do like a monthly um nature outdoor yoga class for the community as well which is a fundraiser we um Oh, there's lots of, we have a website, we have online programs there that we run together as well. And we do a nature uh, curriculum there together as well, which again is a collaboration. So Nat um, puts in a, a therapeutic art practice in there. I offer a storytelling. Emily Patterson, who is another local educator running her own program, similar to Born Wise puts in some mindfulness and um, there's creative practices in there. There's song that Emily does as well. So really We Are Nature Network is a, um, it's like a support system. So we were inspired, it's called We Are Nature Network because we wanted to keep looking back to nature for advice. So when we were struggling or we had problems literally look well how does nature handle this how does the natural world handle this because we are nature as well we you know we forget that don't we we forget that even if we're sitting in an office room in the in the middle of a city in a high-rise building we're still nature we don't have to go looking for nature it's it's we carry it around in us because it's it's in our in who we are so 
we were inspired, I guess, by the way that, you know, the network systems of even mushrooms or the, how the root systems of trees work together and how a healthy tree will send nutrients to a younger or less healthy tree to support it. We wanted to have that as the basis of our organization. So we remembered that, we'll remind ourselves that we're trying to approach work and life and learning and education in a different way. And we're there Mm -hmm. to support each other through that because, you know, we've all grown up in, in this culture, in this world. So you can sometimes very easily slip back into it without realizing it. So it's it's literally where Nature Network is a support of there's um, mothers, grandmothers, educators, and artists who are just committed to to approaching life and learning and work as mothers, especially in a different way. So, you know, we have each other's children in our programs because we recognise that our own children need sometimes a, a teacher or a mentor that's not in their direct family as well. They benefit from that. So. Um, I have Emily's son with me and my son goes to Sam, who's one of the other teachers in there. So there's a lot of kind of helping take care of each other's children as well, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, that sounds beautiful. (laughs) And is it something then that if anyone who isn't in your area, is it something that they could go to and 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 use as a template for let's say if they wanted to start something you know in the states or if there was somebody in another country and they saw that and thought how about that idea that really really like it is it would they get in touch with you and and maybe you could walk them through how how to create something similar yeah for sure both emily and i um do work with people in that capacity we've got little online um courses on there as well and I think you know there's a there's a couple of free videos as well of just like how to approach um you know life and learning in a similar kind of way in a similar philosophy to we to we do although we'd always be recommending people do it in a way that works for them you know Mm -hmm. rather than doing it exactly how we have but we do really enjoy supporting people to, to kind of work in similar ways and work a little bit outside the box or remove the box altogether. Right. Um, yeah, so there's a website, We Are Nature Network. So although we offer a lot of these local um, in-person um, programs and workshops, we do online programs and we've got a monthly um, curriculum as well where when I say curriculum, it's it's really about a philosophy of looking to the natural world as, as a teacher. And so we, we tend to say, you know, the natu- nature is our teacher, um, Mother Earth is our school and life is our curriculum. So that that's mm. an idea of the philosophy and the monthly ideas within that are there to, to just support people on this is how you kind of um, create this new approach to, to seeing you know, maybe the sun as as a teacher or um, an element like water as your teacher. Like you can take on one of these natural elements as as a teacher to look to for for as long as you want. You know, for a month, for a week, for a whole year, and and just notice how much learning and growth comes from that is is fascinating. And so it's it's shifting to this idea of oh, the humans always 
have all the answers to recognizing that we don't always have the answers, but, and how can, what else can we look to for guidance and support, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And and that's, it's so important. I think um, sometimes the word curriculum can sound scary and almost run people away. It's important to have like ideas that other people have thought of. And at the very least it can inspire more ideas. It's more like, here are some things that we've utilized that have worked and here are some things that we've figured out doesn't work for a certain age group. Maybe it's better if you modify it this way. And so, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like suggestions. And and I love the word that you used earlier of an invitation, because that to me is what it's all about. It's like just I'm inviting you to consider this idea. Yeah. And if it works for you, wonderful. If it doesn't, it's okay. You know, there's something else. Yeah. For you. And we, and we always encourage people to put their own spin on it as well. So, you know, it's like, and it's been fascinating for me because some of the children who are in our programs are, are doing this monthly um, We Are Nature Network curriculum as well and seeing the way some of the mums have, to, have, have, you know, followed the learning has been really fascinating. You know, one of the mums is studying Ayurveda and she tied in, for March, our inspiration or air was our teacher. You, you know, mm. air is in the element of, and she brought it in a into her learning and teaching um, around Ayurveda and things that I'd never heard of, and I was fascinated. And it's amazing how these things can inspire something in someone, depending on their interests and ideas and life stage and all of that. And it's, it's just never ending, you know, the possibilities for the learning are never ending and then they're beautifully individualized, but at the same time, you're part of then this collaborative um, ongoing learning experience, which to me, it's that dance between the individual and then the wider community or, Mm -hmm. you know, humanity and earth that is where all the like good stuff happens. It's, it's an exciting place to kind of play in. It is sounds so so lovely. Well, so before we wrap up, are there any any parting words or particular resources or maybe even calls to action that kind of are speaking to you right now that you want to share? Yeah, I mean, I would love people if they are interested to go to check out We Are Nature Network website. So that's www.wearenaturenetwork.com. And, you know, look at some of the free resources on there. We try to put lots of free resources and um, you can reach out to us by that website as well and just, you know, ask questions, get in conversation. I love people kind of popping up in the Born Wise Education, my Instagram page and just, you know, in my like direct messages and just Mm -hmm. having the conversation. It's really exciting to me to to have these um, opportunities, you know, as many things that technology and social media bring to us in a negative way, there's also so many positives in terms of connections. And, you know, I think we said at the start of this, just before we jumped on recording that, you know, I, I found, I remember coming across your Instagram profile and just feeling this sense of familiarity in, in your words and your photo of, of wondering at one stage, did I write that? Is that my photo? Because it felt so true to me. And and that's really inspiring because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can be some one individual who's just having these ideas or you can be part of this kind of worldwide um, idea almost, you know, which is 
it, it can't be a coincidence that people all around the world are, are questioning education in this way and coming up with some similar answers around getting kids outdoors and getting them playing and trusting in intuition and removing some of the you know the obsession with the systems we put in place and I, I think that's really beautiful that there's this you know so many of us are thinking this way and I think the more we talk and share together um and connect it, it's just affirming isn't it mm-hmm. and it, it gives oh, you yeah. kind of desire to keep going it really does and it's like you said on the nature network it's an ecosystem and when you see that somebody else is saying the same thing and and, in the fact that you literally were like wait a minute did I put that there did I was that my post (laughs) that I think yeah I I I love that it just gives me chills it's it's this idea that really we are all so connected and um and when we're when we're collectively raising awareness excuse me And when we're collecting, collectively raising awareness about the needs of our children and our families and getting back to that natural progression of things and letting go of some of the stuff that's bringing so much stress and chaos into our lives that we really are not doing this alone. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important, you know, and like the little mushroom connectors under the earth sort of networking together, it's, you know, we're doing that as well. I often get this nice little visual in my head of all these little lights just across, you know, the whole earth that that are just sort of switching on and then, you know, being connected across across the planet with, with creating these spaces for our children and I think that that's really exciting and inspiring and, you know, hopefully we'll just lead to more and more of it. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really, really love the closing that Jill offered us and just find it to be so beautiful. I think I'm going to forever consider families and communities who are opting into connection and creating those beautiful spaces as little lights switching on. If you enjoyed our conversation or found any part of it helpful, please do consider subscribing, sharing, or writing a review. It's a great way to support the podcast and it allows others to find us. Also, if you haven't had a chance to check out the Barefoot Playground yet, we would really love to have you. Thursday, May the 4th, Cindy Gaddis, the author of The Right Side of Normal, Understanding and Honoring the Natural Learning Path for Right Brain Children, and a veteran homeschool mother of seven, joins me to talk about what writing looks like for our right brain creative learners. This will wrap up our five-part series, but don't shy away if you haven't been before. I promise you will learn something new. Cindy's insights never disappoint, and she provides tangible, actionable steps that you can implement immediately. And on Wednesday, May the 10th, Ann Hansen of Inner Parent Coaching joins me to wrap up our four-part Parent Child Empowerment series with a talk on unschooling teens, which path do you prefer? We will discuss transcripts, job applications, and the multiple ways you can support your teens in high school and beyond. Anne has two grown unschoolers, and I have one plus a teen who's still at home, and we love connecting with other families and supporting you on this journey. You can find details in the show notes about the Barefoot Playground and how to stay in touch with my guest today, Jill Howarth of Born Wise Education. As always, stay curious, stay connected, and stay aware. Until next time.